This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. By the Book on BFM 89.9. Hello, you're listening to By the Book. I'm Sharmila Ganesan. And as always, my fellow lover of bookstores, Lee Trillin. Hello, local bookstores. Local bookstores, yes. And today we are very excited to have with us the co-founders of Sunda Shelves, one of the local bookstores that we haven't yet had on the show. And they have a pretty interesting ambit that they cover. Um, They focus on both conservation as well as Southeast Asia. So joining us today, Surin Suksuwan as well as Dylan Jeffrey Ong. Uh, Good to have you both with us. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having us. How did this idea for Sundar Shelves first come about? Did you both always want to run a bookstore? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I guess we both came up with the idea independently at first. Not sure who came up with the idea first. But yeah, at some point then, we started talking to each other and then we discovered that we had very similar ideas. So yeah, we decided to go ahead with it. Yeah, I think sometime last year we compared notes and we, about 20 years ago, both of us had written concept papers. And so we For exchanged. a bookstore? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> more or less the same. So not getting any younger, why not? So the name of the store is, of course, a lovely play and a pun, really, on the Sunda shelf. Mm. Uh, can you tell us more about that inspiration? Uh, yeah, well, I thought of having the word Sunda in there somewhere and I thought of Sundaland. I thought I wanted to call it Sundaland Books. I think Dylan had another idea for the name of the bookshop. But basically then uh, Dylan suggested the shelf part, which I thought was brilliant. Mm. So, Are you going to tell us what your other name was? Um, <laughs> Malay Peninsula. So I, can't, I can't remember. It wasn't very good. So, yeah. The um, Of course, part of the name, uh, the reference is, uh, as I said earlier, conservation. How does your ethos on conservation shape your approach to book selling? We have both been involved in the conservation uh, world for quite a long time. And I guess, you know, one of the missing elements here in Malaysia is the source of knowledge on conservation, Right. Uh, it is often a struggle to look for the books that you need in order to uh, get the uh, information that you need on, on, on conservation of flora, fauna and all that. And both of us over over the years have had accumulated our own collection of books through various means, you know, often re, uh, you know, having to buy the books from overseas and, and search in, in obscure places, right? So the idea is that why can't we have a, a, a one-stop place where the relevant books can be found. And, and in a way, that would help to accelerate the advancement of conservation work in Malaysia because then it will, it will save people's time in terms of getting the information that they need. Yeah. And what about for you, Dylan? How does this um, connection to conservation uh, translate into the book business? We, we spend some time out, out in the forest and things like that. And, and you know, it's, it's sort of a passion and books sort of naturally... Part of that, lah. You know? I think it just—it's it just—it's logical for us. We live in a country that is acknowledged as a mega biodiverse country. You know, one of the richest uh, areas in the world in terms of plants and animals. Part of the Sunda Shelf, which is part of that story. And so, why why not have a book bookstore that specialises in in nature? 
So uh, I've been to the bookstore and I really, really loved it. Um, however, I, I wanted to ask you about curation, partly because uh, right now it's a relatively small space and you can kind of really see everything that you have there. And as you both mentioned, there's a huge focus on conservation. There's also a focus on Southeast Asian publications, but there's a mix of, and we'll get into it later, fiction, nonfiction, all that sort of stuff. Um, what goes into how you curate the titles you carry? We basically first rely on our own familiarity with the books, right? I mean, that's a good starting point. So basically, you know, the books that we know are relevant and and even necessary in some cases where, you know, if, if you're a practicing con- conservation, biodiversity conservationist in Malaysia, you need to have some of these books, right? Because they contain the, the basic information that you need in order to carry out uh, your work. And by extension of that, we also look at books that are somewhat related to the topic of biodiversity conservation in, in Southeast Asia. And, you know, that includes travel logs as well. And one of the most uh, popular books that we have in the in our bookshop is is this book by Alfred uh, Russell Wallace called The Malay Archipelago. And that really documents the travels that, that he did uh, in the region uh, during the mid to late 19th uh, century. And there were other travellers who did similar things, you know, exploring different parts of the archipelago, uh, including Borneo, uh, some of the people who were the early explorers of the, the Malay Peninsula of Malaya and so on. Right? So we added those kind of titles to our collection as well. And because, you know, we present ourselves as a local bookshop, then we also carry general fiction by Malaysian authors and uh, I would say Malaysiana because not only books by Malaysian authors but by foreign authors about Malaysia and some titles are uh, Malaysian authors who are writing not necessarily about Malaysia but because they are kind of connected to Malaysia in some way then we also uh, carry those kind of titles. Yeah. Speaking of Southeast Asia, do Malaysians know enough about the literary scene in the region and how are you hoping to increase this awareness uh, or interest? Dylan? I don't know very much about the literary scene in the region. But in terms of uh, the nature conservation scene in the region, I think, yeah, we don't, we don't know enough. I don't know enough. Um, it's, we take the name Sundaland because it's not just Malaysia. It's essentially uh, from southern Thailand down to eastern Indonesia, Philippines kind of thing. We're, we're, we're linked in that way. Previously, you know, call it a number of different names, Nusantara, the Malay Archipelago. It's all the same thing. Um, so, I personally, I, 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 would, I, I would like to know more myself as well. I don't think we travel, you know, we go to other countries, but we don't explore neighbouring countries uh, that much, at least myself. So, I think the bookshop is an opportunity for us to look into to this as well. Uh, because, for example, if you talk about trees, uh, trees that we have in, here in Malaysia, a lot of it are very similar to the trees that you have in Indonesia, the Philippines, for example. So, so we're all sort of one big shelf, you know. Yeah, I mean, we hesitate to, to present ourselves as being literary buffs, you know, because um, a lot of, most of our titles actually uh, non-fiction, right? Uh, we carry a bit of fiction because, you know, of our Southeast Asia focus. But definitely there, there are other bookshops out there that focus more on um, uh, on fiction, on novels and stuff like that, right? So, yeah, so I think that's that's probably what differentiates us from other bookshops because we really focus a lot more on the, the non-fiction titles, yeah. 
So do you view the bookstore as an extension of your work in conservation or in communicating about the environment? Is it a sort of space to create that conversation or maybe to create more awareness? I, I'd like to think so. We, we have done awareness kind of things. Wrote, we've, we've written books and edited things like that as well. But hopefully the bookshop is something lasting, you know, that we can provide uh, to the country kind of thing. A place where people can, can come and search for books, learn about uh, the natural history of the region uh, of Malaysia kind of thing. So yes, definitely. Yeah, I mean, some people are starting to call our place a community centre. <laughs> and, you know, there have been impromptu <laughs> meetings that have been uh, done in the in the shop, uh, which I guess is, is a good thing. Um, and, and we also have uh, a, a couple of small rooms uh, up at the front of the bookshop, which we hope to rent out for meetings, for uh, events, and, and so on, right? But yeah, I think as time goes by, we, we have a lot of old friends uh, turning up, you know, people who are involved in the conservation work. And yeah, it seems to be a good meeting ground where people can meet, discuss, uh, learn new things. We, we even have a small notice board, which, um, you know, people are starting to put up their brochures and, you know, calling cards and so on. So yeah. Have you noticed an interest uh, in books about the environment, about conservation? I mean, I guess I'm asking, how have sales been? Could be better. <laughs> I, I think the, the first couple of weeks were, were great, right? Because a lot of, we got a lot of support from friends and, and, and family who dropped by. And uh, yeah, many of them bought books and, and so on. But I, you know, to me, the real measure of, of the success of the bookshop is when we start to have people who, whom we don't know dropping by and we're starting to see some of them coming. And I think in the initial stage, I think a lot of them are just checking us out. Like we've had people who say, oh, you know, we just drop by, they have a look, they, they, they take a quick look around, take some photos. But yeah, hopefully they will come back and, and maybe they'll spread the news. And the other thing we notice is that uh, people do tend to drop by more for the food, for, for, the, for, for the curry puff. So yeah, which is not a bad thing, yeah. <laughs> Um, actually, I'm curious about how people hear about Sunda Shelves. Is it largely through uh, word of mouth? Yeah, I would think so. We just started, I mean, we've been around for almost two months. Mm -hmm. Not so much coverage yet. We, we, we've got a Instagram page, we've got a Facebook page, but mostly word of mouth not through friends and family, I would think so. So we're speaking to the co-founders of Sunda Shelves, uh, one of the newest bookstores on the block, I'd like to say. And uh, we're speaking with Surin Suksuwan as well as Dylan Jeffrey Ong. We'll be back after this uh, with more from them. But let us know, are you interested in books about the environment and conservation? Have you been to Sunda Shelves? Do you plan to? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Billions from me. BFM. 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back. You're listening to Buy the Book with Sharmila and Lynn. And we're joined by Surin Soksuwan and Dylan Jeffrey Ong. They are co-founders of Sunda Shelves, which has just opened uh, two months ago. So just to pick up, we were talking about the sort of books you've stocked. And one of the things that intrigued us was that you have a lot of children's titles in the store. Were children's books something that you wanted to prioritize? We are, yes, definitely. Firstly, I'm interested in children's books myself. I used to read uh, picture books to my kids. And when they grew out of picture books, I was very sad. And we noticed that in recent years, there have been uh, more and more children's books 
done in Malaysia on Malaysian animals and things like that. And and so yeah, it was, it was a great thing, and we wanted to 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 be a part of that or at least uh, promote these things. And so we have a we, we have a small collection, growing collection of children's books, curated, of course, the ones that that we like best. And yeah, so we hope in future to also have activities as well, uh, book reading and things like that uh, for children uh, by by the authors of these books as well. So we've spoken to a fair amount of secondhand bookstores recently, actually, both online and, you know, people who actually run out of shop lots. And you have a mix, I think, of secondhand and new books in store without there being necessarily a dedicated secondhand section. Um, so it does feel like they're mixed together on the shelves. Why did you take this approach? I guess it's more for practical reason, right? Because we want to group together books of similar topics, right? So if let's say you're looking for books on the birds of uh, Southeast Asia, for example, right, it would be a bit troublesome if let's say the new books are on one side and the used books are on another side. And, you know, it's easier when you see the whole collection and then you can decide which books are most relevant to you. Also, we have, you know, we give the opportunity for people to decide whether they want a new copy or a used copy. You know, in the case where we have both used and new books of the same title, right? So if they have a, bi- a bigger budget, then maybe they can buy a new one. Or if they're buying as a gift, people tend to buy new books uh, as gifts. But if they're using it in the field, you know, they probably wouldn't mind a used copy, right? It's going to get trash anyway, right? So, yeah. So I think that that's basically why we have the used and new books side by side, yeah. I'm curious where you source your books from uh, across the board, whether secondhand or new. From various sources, we, we buy the new books from the uh, publishers or distributors, right? So that's a pretty standard thing, right? If you if you look at the any book and you look at who's the publisher, you can figure out where to get the books from. The the used books are uh, harder to source, so you know we basically just get those books from anywhere we can think of, you know, whether from other sellers from free markets, from some people who, who, who decide to donate their books, right? So we have people uh, who also say, no, just take these books because I don't have any use for them anymore, yeah. So you already mentioned community space and the shop does have a very cosy community feel. There's a space to sit down, have a drink, your food and beverages being sold. From the very beginning, um, was this sense of community something you actively wanted to cultivate or was it something that just happened along the way? Dylan? <laughs> okay. I'm just going to call your name since Sorry. he's pointing at you so actively. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, it was something that we planned for, or well, we, we wanted yeah. to do. The first, one of the first piece of furniture we actually bought was a sofa, sofa set. So, you know, we envisioned people coming down and having a coffee and curry puff or, you know, discussing conservation or a book. So, yeah, we, we, we don't want to be the kind of bookstore where you buy a book and then you leave, but, you know, come and, come and have a drink and a chat kind of thing. And we are planning to have things like uh, movie nights or, or talks, that, uh, that kind of thing. So it's a, more than a bookshop, I would home, a place for people to come together and talk about the stuff that we are interested in. Yeah, if I may add, that's, that's, a, that's a kind of another reason for the sofa as well, which I don't know whether I've shared this with uh, Dylan even. A long time ago, I, I, I also ran a secondhand music shop. It's called Music Exchange mm-hmm. uh, in the Bukit Bintang area. And one of the key things, it was a tiny shop, but one of the key things about the shop was they had a sofa. And the sofa was a 
very popular spot for people to drop by and, and, and sit down and chat. So when the idea of the bookshop came up, I thought, okay, we should have a sofa as well, right? Oh, I like that. I think more bookshelves should definitely have sofas. Um, I am curious, though, about whether um, that community that you're aspiring to create, would that extend into things related to conservation? Um, is that something that you're keen to do? Yeah, I think there are a lot of potential spin-offs. Dylan has mentioned uh, activities you know, for kids, right? So we do have a few kind of uh, games, you know, board games type of thing in the shop. So the idea is that the people who develop these games, they can do a game session, right? Teach the, the kids or even adults, right? Because some of these games are actually more suitable for, for adults because, you know, it requires some analytical skills as well, right? So, uh, yeah, we can, we can run those kind of activities. And beyond that, you know, talks and maybe also create the space for nature guides, who want to bring people out there, right? So they can use the bookshop as a way to promote the, their own activities and we are quite happy to to allow them the space on the notice board to promote their, their activities and so on. So yeah, I think that there are a lot of potential in terms of what can be done, yeah. So you mentioned board games. Um, and an element I enjoyed was that you have products like, uh, well, the games, but also bags, keychains, postcards, stickers, and then those go on to benefit environmental nonprofits. But they also do add that fun element to the retail experience, right? What kind of feedback have you gotten on that? Been pretty good. I, I think that the merchandise have been doing really well, especially the merchandise that we brought in from the Turtle Conservation Society, TCS. You know, they've got a lot of um, scrunchies and tote bags and, and things like that. And I think, you know, it, it adds variety to the shop, right? Because it's not all just about books. Uh, and at the same time, we're also helping these conservation organizations because the sales, uh, the proceeds from the uh, merchandise sales will help their organization in terms of carrying out their conservation activities. And I think there's still a lot of opportunities there in terms of expanding the range of the merchandise that we have in the shop because there are many other NGOs that we haven't really spoken to, including Orang Asli, you know, indigenous crafts, right? So we'd like to carry more of those kind of things in the shop. You mentioned your curry puffs. Are there plans <laughs> to expand your F&B offerings? Actually, yeah, I should be talking to my sister about that <laughs> because she's the one running the, the the cafe. So her name is Sumali. So her curry puffs are called Mali puffs, right? <laughs> and currently they're available in three flavors, but she said she is thinking of expanding the the you know the range of flavors so you can have uh, unusual flavors within the curry puff so i think that's basically where the cafe is going yeah so you know in indie bookstores the role of the owner is often a more personal one um, you can more easily build relationships with customers than if it's a big chain and uh, like you point out you know for the first few months you've had friends and old friends showing up as well so is this how you view your role as, um, you know, someone who introduces the books, introduces the store, makes recommendations? Yeah, I, I think that is, that is definitely one of the things that we wanted to do. I mean, we didn't want it to be an impersonal bookshop. I mean, nothing, you know, I'm not saying anything bad about other bookshops because they have their own, they've got their own model, right? There are some bookshops where it's totally, you know, uh, unmanned, right? People can just go up buy the book, uh, transfer the funds through QR pay or whatever it is, and then, and then leave, right? But we want to be that bookshop where people can ask more about the books, maybe get some tips, and maybe not just get tips about books, but tips about 
nature about you know conservation like where you know taman negara how do i get to Burley state park or you know some of the more obscure places right and given the uh accumulative knowledge that uh Dean and i have through our years in nature conservation i think that is kind of the added value that we can bring you know so we 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 will be very happy to to help people even uh young conservationists let's say you know if they want some career tips like you know where can i get a job in 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 nature conservation or that we will we'll be happy to share this kind of information yeah Dylan any final thoughts to add uh, no i, I think so pretty very well <laughs> we we want to be that friendly neighborhood bookshop but specializing in something that is not uh, i guess usual but the thing to me it's we also don't want it to be so you know uh, specialized that you know you, you can only find books about birds and butterflies which granted you know not many people be interested in but essentially we are a natural history bookshop and it's really really wide right it encompasses culture people food um history lots of stuff so i think if if you like malaysia you probably have something to like about the bookshop hopefully you know yeah Sarin Dillon thanks for speaking with us today Thank you. Thank you very much. We've been speaking with the co-founders of Sunda Shelves, Sarin Suksuwan and Dylan Jeffrey Ong. Sunda Shelves um of course focuses on books about conservation as well as Southeast Asia. Let us know are you um interested in books about the environment, about conservation? Have you been to Sunda Shelves? You can WhatsApp us 0187898899, tweet us at BFM Radio. brings us to footnotes after our show last week where we talked about um how ai is and could be changing the world of publishing and writing and fiction and so on uh this week's footnotes in fact illustrates that almost i think in a in a sort of really frustrating way i must say where's that line from in a movie the i told you so i told you so <laughs> I, i i i told you so <laughs> i can't remember where it's from <laughs> <laughs> I, I just didn't expect to be able to say it so soon, and also I apologize to everybody listening. Um, I don't think anyone was fighting us on this, so I don't know who I'm lording it over. But um, essentially, this story comes by way of the US and an author, Jane Friedman, who has actually written multiple books. Uh, she's also consulted about working in the writing and publishing industry, and essentially, she had to uh, take to Twitter uh, X, sorry, and um, announce that. As basically, new books were being sold on Amazon under her name. They were not, however, written by her. Instead, they were generated by artificial intelligence. Um, the titles were generated. The the model had also the AI had also imitated her style. So it was just kind of these weird um, instructional tomes that were under her name, but that she just she didn't even know that they had been published until readers had alerted her i think i think the the truly uh, egregious part of this whole thing was when she when friedman essentially alerted amazon and initially amazon refused to take those books down um it was only when she took to twitter and raised a fuss about it and then got the authors guild involved that then amazon decided to take action but this then opens up the question of what happens to writers who may not have the kind of clout that jane friedman has 
um, what happens to newer writers or to writers uh, who don't even know that this is something they can take action on, right? Because it, this is a fairly significant issue. And I wanted to read this statement by the Authors Guild uh, CEO, um, which really captures the, the heart of the problem. So uh, Mary Resenberger, she says, generative AI is being used to replace writers, taking their work without permission, incorporating those works into the fabric of those AI models, and then offering those AI models to the public, to other companies, to use to replace writers. So you can imagine writers are a little upset about that. So there are a few things here, right? Because we, we spoke about this, that if you were to generate an AI book and then you didn't attach an existing author's name to it, that's different because then it can just be the um, the equivalent of an Alan Smithy and you just have a name that's attached to it, John Smith, whatever. Um, and it doesn't have to be a real person. That's something that ideally should be disclosed. But if it's something a reader finds out about later, that's not as bad and egregious as a reader thinking that they're purchasing a book written by a person with um, expertise in the field or written by a person who specifically writes about this stuff. And then realizing that it was done against their will without their knowledge and that what you've bought is essentially, and this is not the phrase I'm I've used, I think it's just been circling around regarding these books, garbage book, because it, it just is empty, right? It's not necessarily anything at all. So that's one element. But the other element is the fact that um, there's a copyright thing here as well. And Jane Friedman herself said that she probably can't say that she can copyright her name. So if that's the argument that's being made, then that's really difficult. And I think that the fact that this even had to be argued to this extent and that Amazon or whatever big company it may be in the future uh, didn't immediately see fit to, oh, you didn't write this, we'll take it down. I think that that's a problem. No, it's absolutely a problem. And, and you know, you're talking about copywriting a name, which at least is slightly more objective is not the word. At least it's something solid or something specific, right? Because the other part of this problem is, of course, that the AI is being trained on works which are available online across platforms. Um, and this is a problem because the writers are not being compensated for their work being used in this way. Of course, this is the same argument that came out um, uh, before this with art, right? Um, with artists saying, well, the AI that is generating art is being trained on thousands and, and even millions of artwork that's available online, they're not being compensated for it. So in fact, um, more than 10,000 authors, including uh, Roxanne Gay, Margaret Atwood, James Patterson, actually wrote an open letter asking for uh, those involved in AI to get consent from writers when they use their work to train AI models, to compensate them when they do. And Overall, there's been a, a call for transparency in terms of how AI is being trained to use uh, works when it comes to it becoming, quote unquote, a writer. Yes. And right now, it just seems like there isn't enough thought being put into it. And uh, we, if we return to our show last week, the argument could always be, well, why, why should there be? right? Uh, from the point of view of the company, that if it's something that you can get away with, then why not? Of course, in this case, it's someone's name being used, but I don't think it's somebody's wallet being filled, or it's not the author's uh, wallet that's being filled. And even if it were, there's still an ethical <laughs> principle problem here. Um, so yeah, I think that the 
It's worth mentioning that the books, these fake books, were also placed under Friedman's Goodreads. And that Goodreads is part of the Amazon book ecosystem, which again lends further credibility, right, to the idea that these are published books under her name. There are all these things that are problematic with it. And there are also more egregious examples of other authors having their name attached to things like erotica, um, that an erotica that uses the names of their family members. Mm. You know, they're just really problematic things that are happening that I think requires real ooh, political will um, <laughs> to, to deal with. Political will and, and legislation. And, and sadly, I think when we look at the kind of conversations that are happening around even things like social media and how long it took for the law to catch up to the issues and challenges of something like social media, um, I fear that by the time everyone, and this isn't just about one country, right? Because uh, jurisdiction and legislation can change in different countries. By the time everybody collectively gets their act together, that the ship might sail. Um, It might be impossible to actually put something in place that works. I didn't really want to get bleak again, but I don't think there's an upside to the story as of yet. No, I mean, there's there's an upside in that the books were taken down. Yes. That's great. But there are other authors similarly affected for whom this has not been that story. And also, it's going to keep happening. So unless something, (laughs) I feel like, feel like the worst kind of person. Something needs to be done. I don't know what, but something. Um, Unless something is done, it's just going to keep recurring. Let us know. Have you been keeping up with these conversations about how AI uh, might be affecting the publishing industry and particularly writers? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.